This episode is brought to you by Mountain Sea Media. I spent half my life near the Pacific Ocean and the other half in the mountains of Central Oregon. These places are full of profound stories and experiences that guide my life, even now as a media creator and a beer professional. This is how Mountain Sea Media was born. I realized how impactful stories are to our lives and business. Stories share good experiences and the warmth of friends. They improve business by sharing these experiences and connecting deeply with our customers. If you'd like to connect better with your customers through copywriting and storytelling, contact me at jeremy at mountainseamedia.com. It's your story. I'll help you tell it. Welcome to Episode 8 of Good Beer Matters. It's kind of a cool biz. Um, it's a lot of fun to actually get paid to, to, to brew and be able to be creative fun beers. It's it's kind of a blast, actually. In this episode of Good Beer Matters, we continue our focus on small breweries to answer the questions, with so much good beer and competition out there, how and why do they step into such a competitive world? What are the challenges, and what is the upside to being small and crafty? It was a warm, early summer day with birds chirping outside my window when I spoke to a friend about his brewery. In 2016, we sat through brewing classes together. Before that, homebrew meetings. Meet Steve. Well, I'm Steve Anderson, and I'm the brewer owner of Cobalt Brewing. Steve is an excellent, award-winning brewer, but you likely haven't heard of his brewery. That is because he is a nano-brewer. I'm a nano-brewer. I have a two-barrel brewery. I, the, the end result when the day is out is I, have a, I end up with a 62-gallon batch, which is typically for me caked up into three 15.5-gallon cakes and three 5.16-gallon cakes. It's a Rooseveltian thing as a very small brewer to step into the arena and compete with the likes of Sierra Nevada, Dogfish Head, Sweetwater, New Belgium, or Bigger. So the question remains, is there a place for nanobrewers like my friend Steve, and how do they carve out their place in a very competitive world? But first, a little about Steve. I've in architecture and uh, spent many years working for the FAA doing air traffic control. So I, I was, I just, it was a great, it was a great time, great career. And uh, I have a tremendous amount of respect for air traffic controllers. It's, um, it's a challenging job, and, and uh, you have to be spot on every day. Nano brewers like Steve are often the one-man band of the brewery biz, meaning he is the brewer, the keg washer, the distributor, and everything else that breweries require, including general contractor for a new tap house. Yeah, I mean, I, I have to have a schedule, and I have to certain things have to happen at a certain time and and yeah it's the timing element to it all and um an accuracy element and i have to keep good notes and um be able to replicate what i'm doing and understand what is is sort of the result of what i'm doing so um, cause and effect, I guess. Sure. 
so next time I'm brewing something, I know that this is this is why this happened, or or you know, I can do I can do this other move to change things a little bit and and, and have a different result. Let me ask you this question okay. then. Um, you know, I'm trying trying to carve out this story in a in a fairly linear fashion. Just uh, unless you know we can find a rabbit hole that's just we can't resist chasing. Um, tell me a little bit about your brewing background from you know beginning in home brewing and all that stuff to to where you are now. Yeah, so I've been brewing for about six years, maybe a little, little bit longer, and uh, did a ton of home brewing. I when I left the FAA, I started brewing and found that it was a, a lot of fun and, and really enjoyed every element of it and brewed a ton and just eventually thought that it'd be kind of cool to do it uh, on a professional basis. And uh, yeah, so I've been doing the, the Kobold. I started Kobold about a year and a half ago, almost two years ago. And uh, it's me. It's all me. So it's a one-man show currently, which means, you know, it's uh, from recipe development to buying um, grains and, and hops and everything else I need to do in the brewing and, and fermentation and kegging and cleaning. Um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's kind of a cool biz. Um, it's a lot of fun to actually get paid to to, to brew and to be able to be creative and, and do interesting and, and fun beers. I don't know, it's, a, it's kind of a blast, actually. Well, were you one of those home brewers who just started carving out uh, award after award at uh, homebrew competitions? Yeah, I didn't do a lot of competitions. Um, I didn't really feel like getting involved with that too much. I did a few and, and did well, got some ribbons and um the last one i did i won the the only american homebrewers association sanctioned event in central oregon um through coho i think i had 360 other entrants that i beat for um the best of show with my um what's now my cobalos uh imperial cda so that was kind of a cool way to finish the homebrew world and transition into the uh, into the professional world that seemed very appropriate doesn't it yeah yeah it was kind of great so um so you were kind of gunning for the uh professional professional brewer title but um I, I, I was just about to say in my experience and i don't have that experience but it seems to me uh based upon conversations with other folks there's a shift in mindset from the good amateur the big fish in a small pond mentality to now i'm going pro and i'm going to invest a lot of money and i'm going to turn this into this hobby and passion and love to to a day job tell me about that that mind shift how does that work I don't know. I was just following, following a passion. I just was enjoying it. I think as a controller, I um, was pretty passionate about it in the beginning. There's a lot of years of doing that. Um, and I think um, maybe I kind of, it, it wore on me a little bit. 
so I think probably in the brew world, um, I don't know. I was when I moved to Ben, I was doing a ton of different things and just found that to be a lot of fun and really enjoyed it and felt like anything I'm going to do at this point in my life, it's got to be fun. I've got to really enjoy doing it. It's got to kind of be um, community and um, other people have to enjoy it with me. And that was brewing. So, yeah, I just kind of followed it because because it was really a good time, honestly. What is the story behind the name of your brewery, Kobold? Uh, we were just looking at different names of breweries and beers and, and kind of the history of beer and digging into that a bit and found kobolds um, throughout European folklore, especially in Germany. And kobolds were house gnomes that went to the cellar and, at night and brewed beer and brought beer off to the family and, and shared it with the families. And um, we just thought that was super cool. And there's a lot of great um, story and history and folklore that we can pull from to get beer names. And, and um, yeah, we just liked it a lot. What is your definition of a nano brewer? Uh, you know, in, on the nano level, of course, your your nano is obviously small, so you're not. To me, a production brewery is eight barrel or above. And I think these days it's almost ten barrel or above, meaning that um, you're producing to enough beer to be distributed by a professional distributor. Where I think nano means you're distributing yourself and creating and brewing. Um, so you're definitely well below the eight barrel level. Um, and I, and I, and you're, and you're not, I guess you're, you're able to stay super creative. Um, and there aren't a lot of pressures maybe where you'd, have them on the larger production level um, to have to do just specific beers. Like I'm able to find some new brew I want to do, and it's it's a two barrel system. It's not going to kill me if people don't really like it a ton, and I can do something new and unique and and take it out to the accounts that have been buying my beer and see what they think about it. So um, I think you're able to be creative you're smaller um, you're not being distributed by a big company and uh you're probably a one-person show <laughs> that's probably the nano the nano level really so uh when you hire your first employee or bring your wife in to come give you a hand now does that make you a craft brewery <laughs> well, i think it's the same thing i think craft i mean craft can be a bunch of different levels really but I'm going to say on, on the nano level, you're probably more craft than, than any, than, than any level. Um, I think the bigger you get, the less craft you probably are. 
really. Well, and this is one of the definitions I'd love to try and carve out one of these days is exactly what craft brewing means at this point. And, you know, you'd be a craft brewer, for example. Mazama Brewing in Corvallis would be a craft brewer. And by a lot of estimation, Deschutes Brewery would be a craft brewer. But a lot of their processes are automated and they're big and, and they're able to make batches big enough where it's all going to be the same thing. And you're in the opposite spectrum of that. Yeah, I think you get to be the shoots and you're less craft, um, of course, meaning you're doing less creative new things because you've got a, you have certain expectations out in the market um, where if you are um, wild ride brewing or you're um, Mazama or um, Bridge Nine Nine. I mean, you've got a lot more opportunity, maybe, to be to be craft and creative and, and do new and different things. So, um, yeah. Well, I think the bigger you get, the more challenging it is to be actual craft. And yeah. and to me, that seems like there's a continuum where each little shift is so subtle as to not be noticed, but only in retrospect or uh, more importantly in comparison do the differences become more stark and contrast yeah true so let's let's tag on to what you were just talking about um so i want to kind of line these out a little bit i mean in your estimation as a nano brewer what are the benefits what are the pros of being a nano brewery Um, the pros of being in Well, for me, it's just a great job. It's a lot of fun. I, I and and for example, recently, I've I, last night I was in the um, had beer that was in the uh, fermentation celebration at the old mill, and to just have that beer in there and be nearby and listen to people who pour a. Uh, uh, who just just got a taste of crooked fade IPA and and they turn around and say, oh, this is really delicious. I mean, it's just really rewarding, um, just solid feeling. It's a super fun business to be involved with, and uh, I guess that's about it. I mean, it's not it's it's a super challenging business model because um, you don't have really the revenues to have a bunch of employees and um it's it's you're, you're involved with every aspect of the business on a daily basis so um so is nano brewing basically yeah. a way for home brewers to actually get paid for what they do and justify spending that much time brewing beer to their spouse i think i think in one way it is that's that's one way to look at it um, and you, do, I mean, you could be a brewer at, at any brewery and just want to peel off on your own and maybe not have to grab a bunch of money from big business and do something on your own. And, uh, you know, it's super rewarding. So, um, isn't necessarily just the home brewer moving into, into a new world. It could be anyone in the brew, in the brew industry, um, just wanting to be, uh, you know, want to do their own thing. So this brings up an, an interesting analogy to me then. you I mean, there are a bunch of uh, 
musicians like Dave Matthews Band or the Black Keys or Band X, Band Y, Band Z, but the musician, Dave Matthews or or Dan Auerbach or whoever it is, they go off and do a little side project. When will we see professional brewers for these big companies open up their own little nanobreweries for their side projects? Uh, you know, I haven't really done a lot of research in terms of, um, you know, looking at who has started all these nanobreweries. So I can't really say, um, but that could be the people that are doing it now. I really don't know. Um, how many come from the homebrew background? How many come from the brewing industry? Um, I really don't know those numbers, but I mean, there's a natural progression. If you open a small brewery like this, a two barrel brew system easily um, could be sort of the test bed for a large production brewery. So, this is a natural stepping stone if you wanted to create this size brewery and build recipes and build accounts and build your name and then feasibly move on to doing a larger um, production type brewery and then using the small brewery to do um, small batch type stuff, specialty stuff or um, new brews. So um, I don't know. It depends on where you want to end up. Um, I just wonder if, uh, if that's just a, a nice way for those uh, brewers who are doing the same beer day in, day out to kind of carve off and do something creative. Or if, like you're saying, or in your case, where it takes a village to raise a brewery and you start small and, and hopefully scale up as the demand increases. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a unique business, a small brewery under eight barrels. Um, if you If you do some research and, and look at the numbers, uh, you really probably aren't going to make it on that level unless you have a, a really cool niche. And there are a few small batch breweries like Ale Apothecary mm-hmm. that can get, get the right numbers on their, on their, you know, dollars per ounce, um, to be able to survive as a real small brewery. But, Typically, um, you're not going to be able to make it financially at this level unless you have a, a, a niche um, like Ale, Ale Apothecary or um, you know you have a sour house or you're, you're doing all barrel aid stuff or just some, some kind of specialty type stuff. How do you carve a niche when you're brewing and? I mean, every brewery has an IPA. Every brewery has a porter, a stout, and a pale, and a this and that. How do you carve out a niche in that in that arena? Cobalt's been doing a lot. I think the, I think we're unique because we started right out right out of the shoot doing a lot of dark beers, barrel aged beers. I think the, the first beer we came out with on our release was a um, barrel aged espresso stout. Um, part of the lawful evil series and it went over really well so we've done you know both our baltic porters and russian imperial stouts and um, imperial cda and just a ton of different dark beers that was kind of, that's kind of been our thing but we've also wanted to you know we enjoy ipas and blondes and other lighter beers and we've been working those ones also um doing the best we can 
So, um, I don't know. I, uh, we, we're not really trying to grab some super niche type deal. We're not doing all sours. We're not doing, uh, you know, ale apothecary type, type gig, but, um, we're just trying to create a bunch of really great rooms actually. But you have to have, if, if you don't, if you're that small and you don't have a really high, um, dollar per ounce type situation, then you better have the ability to sell your own beer at your own taps, uh, or get bigger and do production and sell through a distributor big time. Bottom so, line. So we're building a tap house. <laughs> gotcha. And, and where, where are you building this tap house? The tap house is at 245 Southwest 6th Street in downtown Redmond. So we are right in the downtown core of Redmond, Oregon. Um, and it's just a super cool old building that had some dirt that was not developed yet on the sidewalk. So we we're able to build a really great beer garden and uh, take this beautiful old building and convert it into our tasting room tap house. And we're doing not just our own beers either. We're doing, um, we're going to sell 20, I think we're going to end up with 20 taps. So we'll do six to 10 kobolds and, um, you know, 10 to 14 other beers. So if you come on, come in and don't want a kobold, we won't discriminate. We'll sell you other brews. <laughs> Does beer have any stories as far as you're concerned? I think there probably are. I mean, we look at, like when I was looking up um, concepts on brewing our merciless Russian Imperial Stout, uh, I was wondering why it's a Russian Imperial Stout. And, and so I looked into the stories about brewing for the Tsar of Russia and and you know why they were why it was such a big beer and, and what their goals were and, and so there was some story behind that and i think every time you when i every time i'm building a recipe or looking at doing a new beer i kind of go look at what the story is behind that that particular beer and, and yeah i mean there's there's always some history and some story and something interesting it's it's underlying um, that particular beer style, for sure. Are there any stories that stick out in your mind that you're willing to uh, recap for us? Um, not really. <laughs> I mean, I don't, <laughs> no, I'm not going to quote any. I mean, that was one. It was interesting. You know, they, they brewed for the for the Tsar of Russia, and they were trying to build brew this big, bold, um, complex beer, and to be the one that impressed them the most. And so, I thought that was that was pretty great. Yeah. With all of your experiences uh, as a controller, and and but most particularly now with beer as a home brewer, as a professional brewer, as a drinker and a consumer, and someone who's actually looking up the histories and the stories behind all this stuff, and who's paying attention to consumer patterns, all, all this stuff. Mm-hmm. What sort of wisdom have you learned from this world of beer? Uh, I think that you've got to be really careful at just paying attention to your own thoughts and needs and desires. And, you know, you might say, Oh, I'm just thinking, you know, I love big IBU, um, IPAs where 
maybe the market's all of a sudden saying that maybe that that's not their favorite beer anymore. You know, all of a sudden they maybe want a 60 IBU IPA, something that's not so tongue scrapingly bitter. Um, or maybe they're looking more toward Goza's or some other new, um, new brew. Uh, so I think just paying attention to what everyone's, um, you know, to new trends and, and tastes and desires and not just following your own, your, your own, um, is pretty important. Then, um, on that note, uh, what ad- what advice or suggestions would you have for home brewers or people who want to take that next step to pro? This could be a really long <laughs> part of the conversation. Um, advice in what direction? I mean. Uh, I could say part of the advice would be to follow your heart and, and, uh, you know, go for it. Um, or we could be talking about advice about paying attention to, to what's happening in the market, or we could talk about advice, um, about the economics of, of being a small brewer. So there's a, it's pretty complex question. Um, I would say be really, really careful and do your research. Number one, um, look at the numbers of cost of production or cost of goods sold and, and what you're actually selling your beer for and the economics of distribution and um, the complexities of a brew house in terms of actually brewing and then cleaning and then distributing and then, you know, dealing with customers. I mean, it's a, that's a, that's a really radically complex question. (laughs) Well, well, since you're a brewer and you're basically a one man band, you have to think of all of these things. Whereas whereas a a brand new craft brewery that's well-funded, well, the brewer can focus on beer with, with part of his or her mindset on the other things. The general manager can focus on the numbers with the mindset and other thing with a minor part of his mindset on other things, but you're all in on every aspect. Yeah, so you better think about all of those things: um, recipe development, uh, purchasing all the ingredients, having those ingredients on hand at the at the right time, um, using them in a timely manner so they don't they don't get stale. Um, storage of all the ingredients brewing the beer cleaning everything um you know kegging distributing storage again of beer for how long um all sorts of you know there's just a ton of it's it's a you you need to be marking down all those things on a on, on a in a document and trying to understand what they all mean and just the, the brewing part of it is a blast and it's the smallest part of the business. It's a tiny, tiny little bit. So, um, all the other things are, are what take up all your time. And keep in mind for a lot of people, uh, one must still be a productive, uh, and engaged spouse and parent. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. <laughs> oh, oh, we forgot about that part. And you will be going out at 2 a.m. to look at one of your fermentations or <laughs> doing, turning off some 
CO2 to something. <laughs> so you're waking up in the middle of the night. Oh, I think I forgot. Did I leave the iron on? Is the is the oven still? <laughs> I do have alarms set for various various times in the middle of the night, but yeah. Steve, what is your favorite place to have a drink? Uh, if I'm going to have a brew, I like to go to Whitewater Tap House in downtown Bend because they have uh, a huge selection of a ton of different local and out-of-area beers. Yeah, it's a great, that's it. Now, if, if you were able to go anywhere in the country, anywhere in the world, or any type of setting or environment, where then, where, how would you answer that question? What What is your favorite place to have a drink? anywhere in the world <laughs> that's huge i'd probably go i'd probably find some crazy little abbey in belgium somewhere and you know where you have to hike in and uh very few people ever end up there and and uh some special cast conditioned beauty that's it's <laughs> rarely available to humankind would be pretty sweet I, I like that answer. <laughs> I know. Let's go. <laughs> I'm in. <laughs> I know. Sounds sounds great. Say for yeah. Mary's and let's go. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so if you had the opportunity to choose your last meal and your last beer, what do you what do you think they'd be at this point? Well, not yet released. <laughs> Kobold's Merciless Russian uh, Lafa Evil series. So barrel aged on uh, Oregon Spirits uh, bourbon barrel is absolutely spectacular so I might end up with one of those and uh, might have to go with just some really spectacular steak and I need a really cool place maybe up in the hills Um, someone serving me that up in the mountain chilling on a really beautiful day I'd, I'd be all in and and I love it because you're uh, you're plugging yourself to the bitter end of your uh, uh, fake deathbed. I know I love that beer though. It's it's really it's going to be awesome. I haven't released it yet, but I just tried it a couple of days ago. It's just oh, it's really remarkable. So I'm psyched about it. All right. Well, I cannot wait to uh, come <laughs> over and help you do some QA on that then. Yeah, absolutely. Um, all right. Uh, so uh, this is the last question, unless we uncover a rabbit hole. But um, but uh, this this is kind of the coup de gras. This is where all these things have been kind of leading up. Is in in your ex- experience, your estimation, why does good beer matter? Why does good beer matter? Why does good anything matter? I mean, if you're going to be mediocre in life, then then just. I, it, I, I can't be mediocre and I can't enjoy mediocre. I, I think that um, good everything matters, especially good beer. Um, you know, if I'm going to have a beer, I want a good beer. I want to enjoy. I want to enjoy it. I want to make. Sh- I want something that someone's put a bunch of effort into and and thought and who's hit a home run, right? I mean, if I'm going to eat a meal like i want good food matters good beer matters good life matters you're gonna go on a good on a hike you want to go on a good hike and not just a simple one and i don't know good beers right there with it it's good good beer matters well then one last thing is how can people find you if they wanted to uh 
follow you come uh, find places to uh, try your beer uh, our website we're just releasing a new site here in the next couple of days go to koboldbrewing.com and you'll get information on how to get to our new tasting room and uh, you'll have contact information on there to talk to me and we can always get you over to the brewery and uh, do a little tour here which I've done a lot of um, and I welcome it then, welcome both then for post, uh, not posterity just for the sake of clarity uh, spell Cobold uh, for us K-O-B-O-L-D brewing.com and uh, can anyone find you on uh, social media and, and all the rest of that same stuff? yeah Facebook yeah, for sure. All, all, all the social media sites. So, Hey, Steve, yeah. thank you so much for uh, chatting with us, and uh, uh, I can't wait to taste more of your beer. Yeah, it was my pleasure, Jeremy. Thank you. The definition of craft and nanobreweries remains a bit fuzzy. Perhaps it's like the contrast between a folk musician at your corner coffee house versus the headliner at a mega concert. While both may be great, they are two different experiences. In the world of beer, the outliers are easy to define, but what about the ones in the middle? I suppose definitions become irrelevant when the journey to find good beer and meaningful experiences is the goal. In the next episode, we head to downtown San Diego to hear a story of a competitive home brewer who went big and to get his take on the challenges of becoming a small brewer in a big city. Good Beer Matters is a show about great beer, great friends, and the experiences we create together but it's also about better appreciation of the beer you enjoy. I believe better education leads to better enjoyment. So if you're a beer and food professional or even a beer enthusiast, then please subscribe to Good Beer Matters and leave a rating on iTunes. After that, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let the world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.